Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Alan Hopkinson is a former member of Mensa with an IQ of 159. He was a computer programmer and had served in the Royal Air Force. At the time of his arrest, he was middle-aged with salt and pepper hair and a moustache. Nothing about him stands out. You could pass him on the street and not take notice. Alan Hopkinson is also highly dangerous. Detective Constable Tina Burney of the Sussex Police Child Protection Team said, I've dealt with many paedophiles over a lot of years and this is the most dangerous paedophile that I've come across. He is highly intelligent, very educated, and is very, very charming. That is how he manages to manipulate people, and he is very good at that. The danger Alan Hopkinson poses is due to his obsession with young girls. Alan was born in the seaside town of Eastbourne on the south coast of England during June 1953. He was the only child of middle-class parents James and Daphne Hopkinson. The family moved to Zimbabwe, South Africa in 1957 when Alan was four years old. He did well in school and upon leaving the Churchill High School for Boys, he obtained six O-levels and three higher exams. He took a series of office admin jobs, but never settled in one place. Alan reluctantly served in the Air Force as part of national service, 
and at 23 he returned to London to live with relatives in Sidcup. Again, never settling in one job, he had various positions as a manual labourer and as an office worker. In the early 1980s, he found something he enjoyed when he started a computer programming course, but despite Alan's new interest, this didn't help him stick to a job. He moved from position to position, but never stayed long. Alan wasn't socially awkward, but he had no friends. When his parents left South Africa in 1987 to move to Maidstone in Kent, Alan moved in with them. Some reports say that he began a relationship with his cousin, Jean Taylor, and she also moved into his parents' home. But the relationship didn't last, and Jean left. People in the area were uncomfortable around Alan. A former neighbour, Gloria Clout, recalls, we used to call him the pervert. He'd be out in the garden pegging out the washing and there would be a whistle. By instinct, you'd look up and he would be standing in the upstairs window. He'd have nothing on. As time went by, his behaviour became more disturbing. He lost a considerable amount of weight and penned a diary called The Evil Rapist. In July 1990, he tried to abduct an 18-year-old French student who was hitchhiking He attempted to drag her into his car at knife point, but thankfully she managed to escape. Only a few weeks later he kidnapped and assaulted an 11-year-old girl. He grabbed her from behind when she walked home from school, bundling her into the boot of his car. He drove the young girl to a nearby woods and sexually assaulted her at knife point. He then took her back to his parents before locking her in a tiny cupboard. The girl was found three hours later, after a father of one of the pupils at the girls' school took down Alan's number plate earlier that day as he felt Alan was acting suspiciously outside. DCI David Stevens, who led the investigation, commented, We found the girl in the cupboard. She was terrified. She was lucky we found her so quickly. Alan's home was searched by a team of police officers. Stacks of pornography were found and DCI Stevens discovered a disturbing six-page story typed on Alan's computer which described how a man abducted a girl and then attacked her. The story did not have an ending. At Maidstone Crown Court, in May 1991, he was sentenced to seven years for kidnapping. The court was aware that he'd sexually assaulted the young girl They were also aware of the kidnap attempt of the French student, but he was never charged with these offences. In prison, unbeknownst to officers who thought he was a model inmate, Alan Hopkinson had been drawing maps of schools in the Eastbourne district. He marked the map with children's names and pasted photographs which he carefully cut out of local newspapers. As part of his treatment, he wrote another book called Foiling the Beast, 25 chapters, it laid out in lurid detail why some men dreamt of abusing little girls. After serving four years, on May 28, 1995, Alan Hopkinson was released on licence. As he hadn't been charged with any sex offences, a supervision order was only put in place for six months and there was no sex offenders registry in place at that time. He moved to a rundown flat on Kingfisher Drive in Eastbourne, located above Langley Shopping Centre. He saw the heavy foot traffic outside his home 
as an opportunity to select and befriend young girls at the local arcade. He brought them sweets and offered them a place to go to watch videos. Esther Adams was Alan's next door neighbour when she was a teenager and recalls he used to have lots of children coming round to visit all the time. It was always the same bunch. They were from the local school. One used to wear a uniform. They would come at all hours. They seemed to think of him as a father figure. He would buy them sweets, then they would come back and make cookies. One night three girls came round and said could I hand a letter to Alan. There was an envelope with two hearts in the corners and Alan in the middle. It made me feel sick. Alan raised no suspicions at first. Shoppers would come and go and he told shopkeepers that he had a family of his own. About a year after he had first moved to the flat, the mother of one of the girls Alan had been grooming noticed her daughter had become withdrawn. She found out the man her child had been visiting did not have children and in fact lived alone, so she called the police. Officers visited the flat and warned Alan that his relationship with the girls was inappropriate and a child protection team met Alan to inform him about the complaint. Officers began an investigation immediately and spoke to scores of children. One claimed he had abused her. The visit sparked a panic in Alan. He knew after the authorities had visited, his time was short and it wouldn't be long before he was arrested. Police tried to secure a court order to keep him away from children, but the process of gathering evidence to ensure prosecution was slow and Alan Hopkinson struck. Charlene Lunnan was 10 years old in 1999. She had just moved to St. Leonard's-on-Sea in Sussex. Charlene had been living with her auntie Vera and uncle Harry after she had been placed in foster care. Her mother had been addicted to heroin and couldn't take care of Charlene. She had got clean and wanted to gain custody of her daughter but had relapsed and unfortunately died of an overdose. Charlene hadn't bonded with her father in her formative years as he had also been addicted to heroin when she was younger but he turned his life around, so much so that he was now working as a drugs counsellor and Charlene would be moving in with him. She was excited about the prospect of living with her father Keith, his wife Philomena and her new stepsister in Hastings and was also looking forward to starting at a new school. On Charlene's first day, a girl called Lisa befriended her after she had asked to borrow Lisa's Spice Girls pencil sharpener. They had fun in the playground at lunchtime and after school that day, Lisa went to play at Charlene's which was only one street away from her home. The two ten-year-old girls formed a bond and quickly became inseparable. Lisa Hoodless lived with her mother, father and three siblings in a house above her grandfather's flat. Her father worked as a gardener, planting the arrangements at the seafront and Lisa's mother worked at home taking care of the four children. After school, Lisa would go downstairs asking her grandfather to help with her homework as he was a retired teacher. In time, both sets of parents agreed to let the girls walk to school together as the route was safe and free of any major roads. It only took five minutes in a quiet, low-crime area. Hold up. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. On Tuesday, January 19th, 1999, Charlene and Lisa were running late for school so decided it would be quicker to take a shortcut down Cornfield Terrace, a one-way street. The street, lined with houses, was quiet, but not secluded. The girls were walking along, giggling and messing around. Rubbish sacks had been torn, and the contents of food waste covered the floor. Charlene pushed Lisa out of the way before she stepped in it, but Lisa fell into the road, narrowly missing an oncoming car. The driver of the car stopped his blue Vauxhall Corsa, got out and apologised. Alan Hopkinson, who was aged 46 at the time, had been using his homemade school map that morning to trawl the area. He had been following Lisa since she left her house that morning. 
he watched her pick up sweets from the garage and saw her taking a shortcut through a one-way street. Alan apologized to Lisa, but as he did so, he put his hand around her mouth, picking her up, and he put her in the boot of his car. Charlene was petrified as she looked at Lisa. Her face was bright red from screaming. She was terrified and didn't know what to do. Charlene was told to get in the boot with Lisa. No one witnessed the abduction. Lisa was crying and Charlene was trying to comfort her by stroking her hair and singing to her. The car stopped after only a few miles on a coastal road in a secluded lay-by. Charlene was then removed from the boot. She could hear the hum of cars and see a field, but she had no idea where she was. Lisa was left too panicked to hear anything. The thought of why me and why is this happening kept turning in her mind. Alan sat Charlene on his lap in the back of the car and started to calmly ask her questions, like what was her favourite colour? What was her favourite food? Who did she live with? Did she like school? After quietly answering all of his questions, Charlene was told she was a good girl. Alan made an admission to the terrified youngster that he'd kidnapped a girl once before for three hours and nearly got lots of money, but he was caught and had to go to prison. So this time, he said, I'm going to make sure it works. Charlene asked to go back in the boot with Lisa as she could hear her cries for help. Alan put her back in the boot and said he didn't want to hurt them as long as someone paid a ransom. He got in the car and drove the 17 miles to Eastbourne. The girl's absence from school was not followed up by a phone call to their families. As far as they knew, Charlene and Lisa had arrived at school like any other day. The school assumed that their families were aware of their absence. Arriving at the underground car park to his flat, Alan removed Lisa from the boot and made her get into a large gym bag. She started to panic as she believed she wouldn't be able to breathe in the zipped bag. He calmly assured her it would be a minute just until they got into his flat. He told Charlene he was going to come and get her next. When Alan was gone, Charlene took the opportunity to scream, shout and kick the boot, but no one came. Alan returned and attempted to place her in the same black gym bag, but she was too big to fit inside. He decided to wrap her in bin bags, making holes for her nose and mouth, and lifted her up the communal stairs to his flat. No one saw either child enter his property. Alan's flat was small. It contained a sofa, a single bed and was packed with his belongings. The light was dim and the brown sofa, carpets and curtains looked to be heavily worn. He unwrapped Charlene and led both girls to a window with its curtains drawn. As he opened them, the girls noticed they were several floors up. Alan let them know they would never be able to escape from the window because if they jumped from that height, they would break their legs. Alan turned his focus to Charlene and made her go into the bedroom. Every school day at 3.15pm, 
Lisa's mum Julie went to collect her children from school with a friend Elisa. They waited for Charlene and Lisa at the school gates for 10 minutes before Julie asked the class teacher where the girls were. This was the first time someone realised the girls were missing. Julie thought the girls were playing truant and had likely spent the day loitering around the shops but were now too scared to come home and explain themselves. She sat waiting by a front window but when the clock turned five and the girls hadn't returned she began to worry. Philomena, Charlene's stepmother, called Charlene's father Keith at work to let him know what was going on. The girls now hadn't been seen in over eight hours. When their friends mentioned they hadn't seen the girls, Keith told Philomena to call the police straight away and he rushed home. The girls' bedrooms and homes were searched and the families of the missing ten-year-olds were now petrified of what might have happened. Charlene's father went out in his car searching the streets hoping he would see them, but felt useless when he had to return home to let the police take over the search. Officers went door to door, checking every address near the school, and sniffer dogs were employed to search gardens and hedgerows. But by the early hours of the morning, they still had no information to lead them to Lisa and Charlene. 17 miles away, Lisa and Charlene lay on a sofa, under a blanket and a pair of old musty t-shirts they were given to wear. Charlene was kicking Lisa, begging her to stay awake, but Lisa was so exhausted she could barely keep her eyes open. Alan Hopkinson didn't go to bed, he just kept pacing around the small flat. He would intermittently stop and just stare at the girls. On January 20th, Charlene and Lisa had been missing for over 24 hours. The national media were alerted, and an appeal was made by their families. Over 70 police officers combed the area looking for any trace of the missing 10-year-olds. Keith, Charlene's father, had a bad feeling and he was giving up hope that his daughter would ever be found. Because it was so unusual for two girls to go missing, police were hoping they had just decided to go on an adventure together. School friends told the police that Charlene and Lisa had often talked about running away to London to visit Charlene's mum's grave, so police expanded the search. It was unlikely the girls ever said this. Charlene's mum didn't have a grave, however some of Charlene's family still lived there. Her sister Rose, who lived in London, was hoping she was making her way there, but thought it improbable, as the girls were too young to know the route. Missing posters were placed in train stations along the journey, hoping the girls would be spotted leaving a train. Calls flooded a helpline that had been set up, but no solid leads were uncovered. Two days after their capture, Alan Hopkinson, who had allowed the girls to watch the news footage of their disappearance, cruelly told Charlene and Lisa that their families wouldn't pay the ransom because they didn't want them back. The mental and physical abuse continued. To keep them quiet, he told them that if they screamed or tried to escape, the man next door would kill them and he was much nastier than Alan was. But much to their relief, as evening approached, Alan spoke to the girls and told them they would finally be going home. He carried them the way they had arrived, in a sports bag and wrapped in black sacks, placing the girls in the boot of his car. When it was dark, he stopped the car and brought the girls sausage and chips. Unable to eat, as the girls just wanted to go home, 
Alan placed them back in the boot. As the car started, they realised he wasn't driving towards Hastings, and panic once again set in. Alan pretended he was lost, driving down a narrow road, but eventually stopped on a grass verge. He had driven them to a famous suicide spot on Beachy Head. People had thrown themselves from the 540-foot white cliffs onto the rocks below. He dragged the girls to the edge, threatening to throw them off, but at the last second, he changed his mind, declaring that he needed them for just one more day. He put them back in the boot of his car and drove to his parents' home. The Hopkinsons were away in Australia for two months, so he had full reign of the property. He abused the girls again before returning them to his flat. The police decided it was time to talk to the families to deliver some heart-wrenching news. Given the amount of time that had elapsed, and with no new information or sightings, they feared for the safety of the girls. The investigation was turning from a missing persons to a murder inquiry. On January 22nd, three days since the two girls had disappeared, the search was winding down, but another police force investigation was heating up. Finally, after three weeks, enough evidence had been collected to arrest Alan Hopkinson for the rape of a minor. The girls had been allowed to top and tail in a single bed that night. They awoke to silence. Alan Hopkinson had gone to collect his parents from the airport. Adrenaline kicked in and Charlene and Lisa looked for an escape. The handle of the front door had been removed from the inside, leaving the bolted door impossible to open. As they were desperately searching for a way out, they stumbled across magazine cuttings of children's pictures, along with a list of children's names and the details of the torture and abuse they had suffered. The girls were trapped. Deflated, they returned to bed just in time to see the door swing open. Time to get up, girls. Let's see what they are saying about you on the news this morning, said Alan, as he switched on the TV. The girls' pictures appeared on the 9am news, and their hearts plummeted when the headline read, Hopes are fading of finding the missing girls alive. From out of nowhere, they were interrupted by a loud knocking on the front door. No one had visited for the last three days, so the girls huddled against the wall, wrapped in a dirty quilt, fearing who it could be. Too scared to talk or scream, the girls sat there in silence. Alan paced back and forth, saying, What do I do? What do I do? The words police, open up, penetrated the air and came as an immense relief for the girls. Alan told them not to say a word. Swearing under his breath through gritted teeth, he said, Shit! Fucking hell! Fuck! A succession of knocks followed. Open up, said an officer outside. He wasn't opening the door. Charlene and Lisa feared the police would leave them stranded in this dirty apartment with their abductor. The knocking and calls continued for about five minutes. Too scared to call out, the girls sat waiting. Then they heard a door key and the sound of the front door being opened. The police officer spoke. Good morning, sir. Are you Alan Hopkinson? We've had some complaints about you from some local girls. Alan retorted. Really? 
I can't understand what they would complain about. The officer responded, We would like you to come down the station and answer some questions, please, Mr. Hopkinson. What now? Alan said. Yes, sir. We would prefer not to arrest you. It would be best if you came voluntarily. The girls heard a pause in the conversation. Okay, can I just get a couple of things first? My tobacco and wallet? Certainly, sir. The realisation hit the girls that the police were not there for them. They had no idea. The officer waited at the door. While searching in the bedroom for his wallet, Alan casually called out, Oh, by the way, I've got the two missing girls from Hastings in the front room. The policeman entered the property to see the girls huddled together on the bed. A grin spread across his face. We've been looking for you. After three days and three nights, the girls were safe. They were separated and taken to different police stations. They were examined by doctors and nurses to assess their injuries and gather evidence. Before they were interviewed, they were allowed to put on fresh clothes their parents had brought them from home. The girls were desperate to see their families and knew they were in the same building. Charlene and Lisa were taken to child protection suites, which are large rooms filled with children's toys. The girls showed remarkable bravery, detailing the horrific events of their three days being held captive by Alan Hopkinson. DC Tina Burney was present throughout the interviews and said they suffered a catalogue of assaults and that the girls were fine to begin with and then became very distressed. They remembered everything that had happened in great detail. Later that day, news footage showed Charlene in a pink robe standing at the front door of her home with her father. Photographers and camera crews captured the relief on her father's face as he looked at his daughter. While Lisa and Charlene were being reunited with their families, detectives were interviewing Alan Hopkinson. Alan admitted to taking the girls, but denied assaulting them. In the interview, his whole demeanour suggested he had done nothing wrong, and as he spoke, he lacked any remorse for his actions. After a weekend of questioning, police changed tact. Instead of continuing with male detectives, they felt that Alan may act differently with a female. DC Burney was brought in. The interviews were spread over four days, and she later noted... He preferred talking to women. I persuaded him to write down in detail what had happened. He is dangerous because he is charming, polite and highly intelligent. He took me through all his fantasies and showed no emotion. He told me he was sorry for what happened, but I did not believe him. He seemed to think the children had encouraged him. He admitted he had been obsessed with children all his life and I am sure he would offend again. Men like Hopkinson don't change. He doesn't want to change. The strangest thing about him was the way he treated me. At the end of it all, he must have known I was repulsed. But he stood up, shook my hand and said, It's been a pleasure knowing you. In May 1999, Alan Hopkinson appeared at Lewis Crown Court to face charges of kidnap, two charges of false imprisonment and nine charges of assault. 
he also faced an additional charge of serious assault on a third girl from Eastbourne between January 1997 and January 1999, along with a further 11 counts of assault against two other girls, aged 10 and 11, in 1998. Ten other charges of assault would remain on file. Judge Richard Brown, who gave Allen nine life sentences, said the public now has the right to demand that this court does everything in its power to ensure that you will never again be free to present a risk to young children. In Allen's defence, his barrister told the court, punishment should be tempered with rehabilitation. He is not like some paedophiles. He is not a violent man or a murderer. Detective Superintendent Jeremy Payne, who led the investigation, said the case had been the worst he had come across. He said Alan was a horrendously dangerous man who should never ever be released into society. Although Alan Hopkinson could be considered for parole after seven years, Detective Superintendent Payne said it is my understanding he will only be considered for release when the authorities are totally satisfied that he doesn't pose a threat. Personally, I don't think that will ever happen. After the hearing, Lisa and Charlene's family welcomed the life sentence, but said their daughters were still traumatised. She sometimes wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, said Lisa's father. She's more withdrawn than before. It's been a very painful experience. So where are we now? Alan Hopkinson was denied parole in 2006. He is still currently in prison, however has been released on occasion under a special purpose license. Charlene and Lisa tried to find some normality after their ordeal. Their close bond deteriorated, but at 17 they rekindled their friendship. Both women decided to go public with their story and wrote a book called Abducted in 2009. Their case encouraged schools to contact caregivers straight away if a child was absent without notification. They also supported a campaign called Sarah's Law, a child sex offender disclosure scheme in England and Wales, which allows anyone to formally ask the police if someone with access to a child has a record of child sex offences. This measure was called for after eight-year-old Sarah Payne was murdered by paedophile Roy Whiting in 2000. Charlene and Lisa, both now in their late twenties, each have a family of their own. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. If you would like to support the podcast and receive ad-free content and other extras, head to patreon.com forward slash theywalkamonguss. This week's podcast recommendation is Misconduct. Each week, Colleen and Eileen discuss the facts and theories surrounding unresolved crimes, wrongful convictions and miscarriages of justice. Stick around for a trailer at the end of this episode. We have recently set up a Facebook group where you can discuss the cases featured in the show, your favourite podcasts or anything in between. Just head over to Facebook and search for They Walk Among Us podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast or follow us on Instagram under They Walk Among Us podcast.
This week we are discussing the case of the Grim Sleeper. Tonight we are discussing the wrongful conviction of Richard Rosario. We're going to talk about the disappearance of Evelyn Hernandez. We will be discussing the case of the San Mateo Slasher. Dive into the disappearance of Sneha Phillip. The wrongful conviction and near execution of Clarence Bramley. Welcome to Misconduct, a true crime podcast. I'm Eileen, and with me as always is Colleen. Join us every Thursday as we discuss resolved and unresolved crimes, wrongful convictions, and miscarriages of justice. Find out more at misconductpodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.